0: Welcome to Newcastle Libraries Real. Newcastle Libraries can be accessed from wherever you live with the Newcastle Library app. Put borrowing at your fingertips. I invite you to close your eyes and imagine. Imagine that there are no buildings, no roads, no cars, just the trees, plants, animals and the very first storytellers of this land, the Awabakal and Waramai people. I acknowledge them as the traditional custodians of this beautiful land in which we live.
1: Welcome to the Know Your Rights series presented by Newcastle Libraries Real. The information provided in this session is for information purposes only. It must not be relied on as legal advice. You should seek individual legal advice about your own particular circumstances.
0: Hi, I'm Dan Cox, a broadcast journalist with the ABC based in Newcastle, Australia. I'll be your host for this part of the podcast called Know Your Rights, the Anti-Poverty Series, thanks to Newcastle Libraries Real, Samaritans, Nova for Women and Children and Newcastle Poverty Action Alliance. You'll hear from three eminent Australians regarding poverty in Australia and what actions you can take to reduce poverty in our society and communities. Rod Bower is an Anglican priest, director of Gosford, where he has served for more than 20 years now. He's also Archdeacon for Justice Ministries and Chaplaincy in the Diocese of Newcastle. He's an ambassador for the Refugee Council of Australia and serves on the Board of Samaritans. Father Rod is a passionate advocate for a number of social justice and human rights issues. He uses his massive social media following as well as the infamous roadside sign out the front of his church to raise questions, spark debate, promote love. He's married to Kerry, who's also a passionate advocate for asylum seekers. They have two children and four grandchildren, and his memoir is called Outspoken. Welcome to the series, Father Rod Bauer.
2: Lovely to be with you.
0: You are a man who lives true to his faith, Christianity like other faith traditions, has social justice and the alleviation of poverty at its core. But around the world, we see democratically elected governments, which say they have strong connections to faith traditions, overseeing policies that only end up perpetuating poverty and injustice. How can this be?
2: Well, it's the big uh, question, the separation between church and state, I guess, isn't it, really? But, the, I mean, the church, the mosque, the synagogue, the temple, they, uh, they should uh, never, ever be involved in government but always involved in politics. And there are two different things there. One one is government, and so we should be actively involved in the political life of uh, our community and our nation. Uh, We should be standing outside Parliament House screaming and yelling at the top of our lungs, but we should never be inside Parliament House. And uh, I think that's an important distinction. I mean, Desmond Tutu, uh, in the apartheid era, uh, most of his priests were um, members of the ANC, the the African... National Congress. But the minute that the ANC took power, Tutu wrote to his priest and said, you need to resign from the ANC <laughs> because then they are in government, you see, and that was an important distinction. But that doesn't mean that uh, people of faith shouldn't be involved in government. Actually, they, they really should be involved in government, but it, it does mean that once you're in government and you're a person of faith, then you've got to be able to translate your particular doctrinal framework into a universal principle and that's where politicians really do get themselves into strife, when they're unable to translate that into a a universal principle. Then it becomes disastrous because most faith traditions have an idea of a different kind of kingdom. I mean, the the founder of the firm that I worked for always talked about the the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, and he wasn't talking about what happens after you die and all that sort of stuff. That really wasn't what he was interested in. He was interested in an alternative way of being that we might now call a just society and often that actually does clash with the uh, the agenda of government and and so they there's got to be that tension there but it needs to be a sort of outside parliament house screaming and yelling not inside at the desk
0: your book is called outspoken and you are certainly that standing out the front of parliament screaming and yelling um, your book talks about injustice and publicly calling out those who perpetuate it but being outspoken also makes you a target for those who would prefer that you weren't so outspoken. So how do you keep doing that and facing up to it day after day?
2: I don't want to sound trite because I know this can sound trite, but I actually do draw my strength and my inspiration and guidance from a first-century Galilean rabbi. That's where it comes from for me. You know, uh, he's so passionate about this alternative kingdom this uh, this this alternative state of being that we might call a just society and so that's primarily where i get it but it's not only where i get it from until very recently i've served on the board of the samaritans foundation our, the anglican social welfare arm in in the newcastle hunter and and uh, uh, and central coast and uh, and i draw enormous in, inspiration and strength from those people with whom we partner And, you know, these people get out of bed every morning and step into extraordinary adversity. And I think, wow, you know, I don't know whether I could do that. I mean, they're just so inspiring and their strength and their ability to engage adversity and get through their day is is so inspiring. They really have to
1: budget everything, I suppose. And I remember thinking and talking to a woman years ago and she said to me, you have to budget everything, Carol, even down to how much cereal you put in a bowl of a morning because you have to make that one packet of cereal last however long it lasts.
2: And I guess thirdly, I get incredible strength and inspiration. I get These days I get to the privilege of working with a lot of Year 12 students. And these young people are so switched on. Uh, so engaged in social issues, so passionate about social justice, um, way more than I was when I was 17 or 18. I, I was interested in all sorts of other things, but not that. And they are so engaged. And so I um, I get really inspired and hopeful by those people. Did you know that you can find law
1: handbooks, tenants' rights manuals and other helpful legal information and links in the Newcastle Library's eLibrary? Look for business, law and consumer information on our website.
0: You talked there about the group of people that wake up and walk straight into adversity. Let's talk about the impact of COVID-19 when it comes to poverty and people who are most disadvantaged in our communities. What are you experiencing in your parish and your community? What's your view of the impact of COVID-19?
2: Well, I mean, people you know, say we're all in this together, and that's true. We are all in this together. But sometimes people say we're all in the same boat. We are definitely not in the same boat. <laughs> We're all in the same stormy sea, but uh, sometimes I feel I'm in this luxury yacht, and uh, you know, and I'm looking over the side, and there's all these people in little tinnies just trying to row against the, the tide. And uh, people are experiencing extraordinary adversity in this. I mean, I, I guess I, I've never been so conscious of my privilege as I have been over the last six months. The lockdown for me was actually good. I, I had a rest, I, I got I got paid to tend my garden. And the more I did this, and my wife Kerry and I were say we were sitting there in, you know, in a lovely home with a lovely garden and thinking, you know, what would this be like if you were imprisoned in a tiny one bedroom flat somewhere? Uh, what would it be like if you had to get on public transport and, and really risk your life? To go to a job where you again were risking your life. What would it be like if you had lost your job? And so on and on it goes. And so this has, I think, highlighted the gap between the privileged and the poor more so than ever, and and really shown us, you know, those of us who are, you know, rich and privileged, how fragile other people's lives are.
0: And yet the country is a wealthy one. Why can't we distribute that wealth better?
2: Well, why? Can't? Well, because we choose not to. It's as simple as that. It's a choice we make as a society not to distribute that wealth. And it's, we can't just blame the politicians on that. No. Well, we 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 put them in there. We 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 vote, and because we've we've bought into the 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 lie of of individualism. We understand that this is all about us and maybe our children and maybe our grandchildren, but it's it's the live individualism that has uh, led to this point where, I mean, the opposite to poverty uh, isn't wealth. The opposite to poverty is enough, and there is enough. There is actually more than enough. It's just that we, we hoard more than enough for ourselves, and there's a there's a truth that you know every everything that we have in excess of what we really do need for a comfortable life is stolen from the poor and it is and, and so much and i put my hand up for that you know uh, you know about probably about half of what i i have is too much is in excess of what i need to sure. live a relatively comfortable life and that half is actually stolen from the poor and i make choices about that um, and we all make choices about that. I, I try, I try. I, you know, I guess in my life I try and mitigate that and I do try and make some choices um, that uh, will, you know, at the end of the day be a disadvantage to me and an advantage to someone else, mm-hmm. and yet we live in a society that actually makes that quite difficult to make those choices. So we've, we've, we've got to a point where, you know, we, we bought the lie of individualism, and, um, and that, of, that, that means that the enough that is there uh, isn't available to the poor.
3: And since we've had this whole supplement, it's allowed me and many others in my situation, like my father, my father's friends, my friends, everybody I know who is on um, Centrelink and who is receiving the supplement are either doing a lot better Financially, mentally, socially, most of the times, all of those. I think it's time for people to realise it's not about being able to live on those wages. It's about
0: being able to live instead of survive. Do you think the global pandemic will actually be a catalyst for change then in the end when it comes to addressing poverty and disadvantage?
2: No. I don't um, I, that doesn't sound very hopeful does it but um, I think the pandemic has actually I mean we're all we're all pretty good for a little while and we you know so we're all in this together and let's try and you know and uh, help each other and reach out and uh, but you th- that didn't last very long it, it it really did subside fairly quickly and 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 now it's um you know, uh, I, I think it's increased our, our sense of individualism. I think it's increased our sense of, of isolation. Um, you've now got um, people taking the Victorian government to court on because they've had to shut their business down and, and their human rights are being abused. So you've got this rampant individualism trying to overcome what's been a, a decision made for the common good. I, I think we're not there yet.
1: Access to justice and knowing your rights is what really matters to us. If it matters to you too, please share the Know Your Rights series on Newcastle Libraries Reel with your friends and rate us and review us on iTunes.
0: The Anzac spirit that you speak of there, that we're all in this together, has certainly been felt for the last few months. You, you think it's already over. What do you think the public needs to do now and know about to bring about change then?
2: Well, What do we need to know? I mean, it's, it's interesting that facts don't, the surveys tell us that facts actually don't change people's minds anymore. Right. Uh, so uh, there, there, there needs to be more than facts. There, there needs to be truth. And you know, a couple of years ago, post-truth was the word of the year in that sense. So uh, truth is what we do with facts. And, and so we, we've got... The fact. the fact is that, uh, you know, we, uh, we have to navigate our way through this pandemic and, and part of the way we do that is uh, by occasional locking down, and which you know, has an incredibly deleterious effect on the economy. Um, but the truth that we use, and that's where, you know, we, we start to manipulate and spin and, and do all sorts of things. So I think what people need to be able to do is relearn what truth is. Uh, in a post-truth world, in a in a world of spin and manipulation, and um, and uh, and social media and um, and media domination by a, uh, a certain group that is really um, not about media, but is about manipulation of government for their own purposes, and so somehow or other, we have to be able to see through that. Otherwise, this rampant individualism will continue to gather the enough into 1% of the population, and the other 99% are never going to have enough.
0: Father Rod, I know you're not an economist, but you do deal at the grassroots with people who are on the other end of government policy when it comes to economy, things like Job Seeker, Job JobKeeper. I want to ask you about Australia's way of managing the economy in the middle of the pandemic, addressing poverty. What are your thoughts on JobKeeper, JobSeeker?
2: I've really got to congratulate... The, I don't do this very often. No. <laughs> I just, I've got to congratulate the government on, on JobKeeper and on, on JobSeeker. Uh, without that, uh, it just would have been an incredibly economic disaster and people would no longer be job-ready to go back to you know, when the economy opens up again, hopefully as soon as we can. Um, so, but it has, it has highlighted, especially in terms of um, JobSeeker, we can do this. We can actually do this. We can raise the rate. We can at least attempt to make the job seeker payment enough to pay the rent to put some food on the table. And we've been able to address you know, uh, the, the rate of, of job seeker. We've been able to address homelessness uh, in the most extraordinary way. Now, I know that's probably not sustainable in its current expression, However, we've seen, and in some sense, the government's showed its hand in this way, that government can actually do this. It can actually address poverty uh, if the will of the people is there. Since we've had this
3: whole supplement, it's allowed me and many others in my situation, like my father, my father's friends, my friends, everybody I know who is on um, Centrelink and who is receiving the supplement are either doing a lot better financially, mentally, socially, most of the times, all of those It's allowed me to like go out and buy clothes, go out and buy things I need for my studies, go out and buy interview clothes. It just feels so liberating and so, so good to be able to be self-reliant like that. It's peace of mind, which is something that is incredibly, incredibly valuable when you've lived with the constant threat and thought of, am I going to be able to make it through this week? which is thoughts that I don't wish on anybody because it just, it's a constant, constant
0: stress. We'll end at some point some of those measures. Uh, Are you concerned about that cliff edge, if you like?
2: Uh, Enormously, because the minute that JobKeeper gets switched off and whether that happens in March next year or not, well, I guess that remains to be seen. But the minute that that gets switched off unless the economy has opened up substantially by then, uh, which I'd be very surprised, which we're seeing again in um, in Israel uh, in the last week and uh, Spain and some of the other European countries, the attempts to open up have allowed the virus to spread again. So we're going to go through this backwards and forwards. If Job keeper is cut off in March. The economy will go over a cliff. There is no doubt about it. There will be mass redundancies, and um, and mass bankruptcies. There is there is no way to avoid this. So I mean, economically, uh, we we know that we can deal with debt, uh, especially at the moment. And uh, so debt isn't our debt is not our problem. Bad economic management will be our
0: problem. So what do you say to someone who says we can't afford months and months and months of job keeper and job seeker?
2: Oh, I would say, listen to the economists. They, the, the, the economists are saying, yes, we can. We can afford uh, a substantial amount of debt in, in Australia.
0: Let's talk about digital communication. And uh, you and I are face to face today, but there was very much a possibility that we'd be doing this online. The reliance on digital communication has become more so because of the pandemic. So how do we make sure that we address digital inclusion and digital? Digital literacy, the ability to use the technology to ensure that we don't see more disadvantage that only leads to more
2: inequality. Digital literacy is a really interesting dynamic because popularist governments are actually advantaged by digital illiteracy. So there's no real motivation for a populist government to um, to seek to educate people digitally because it will it will disadvantage them. So, you know, social media is very good at promoting fear and and isolation, and that all plays into certain styles of, of, of government. And honestly, that's, you know, when social media makes us feel afraid and isolated, that's right exactly where Amazon and Google and Facebook and Apple want us. They want us alone and afraid and isolated, with no viable means of comfort apart from their products. And so digital literacy is not high on the agenda of any of those big digital companies or on the agenda of, of most governments because that's where that's where they want us. and they want us to um, be reliant on their support in our aloneness and our isolation and our fear, relying on their perceived protection. And so that's a I think it's a much, more difficult dynamic than people really realise because there's no no real support in government or in in big business for for digital literacy because um, digital literacy would be based at its best on helping us to discern what is true uh, and there lies the problem.
0: What about social inclusion? This has only been exacerbated, of course, by the pandemic. How can we get better at supporting meaningful connections with others uh, to avoid social poverty and isolation that, I, no doubt, some of your people you work with are experiencing right now?
2: I think social media uh, has has really proven we've been juggling this one for a few years now um, because you know it's it's about the online community and and and. And yes, there are certain connections made, but I, I think it's becoming clearer that they they are not particularly life enhancing. Sure, connections.
0: you are engaging with people you may not have engaged with
2: because they're oh, not in Gosford, I, I For example, I engage with a hundred thousand people a week on social media,
0: all around the world. Yeah. Um, some not so meaningful, though, obviously.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think that can be helpful in some ways. But what I'm always trying to do, and I think what I've learnt now is important, is that I want to be feeding those people that I engage with online, in in social media, I want to be feeding them into actual communities. Otherwise, ultimately, it's just smoke in the wind, to be honest. And so more and more now we're uh, looking for local communities around Australia. Where people people contact me and say, oh, you know, we, you know, where can I find a church like yours? Or, you know, and what they're really asking is where can I find community with whom I resonate? That's what they're asking. And so I'm, I'm learning now to try and find avenues within some of the major cities and, and, and regional centres where I know people that I can say, look, and contact this person. Uh, They've got a lot of community connections, not only in church but, you know, across the, the, the wider community, and they will help you find a place, and I think that's where it can work.
3: There's such a public concept of poverty as purely being lacking in material wealth, whereas actually there's so many forms of poverty, and I think the most insidious one is social poverty Mm. where you you lack connection you Mm. lack identity Mm. and once you become disconnected from the world there's a lack of a will to live and so that just sends you down over this other cliff Mm. so you could eke out a material capacity to eat to drink water but you can't Find
2: social connection. Have you been doing church online? Yeah, we do. Uh, it doesn't translate very well, to be honest, online. Um, because for, for, as an Anglican, our worship is the five senses, basically, and uh, and, and more. It doesn't translate onto a screen, <laughs> really, at all. It's COVID so safe, though. <laughs> yeah, it's COVID safe, but it's we're really struggling. We're really struggling to connect to c- connect to 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 find new ways of connecting and. You know, we, we thought, OK, this will only be for a few months and we, but now we're really learning that this is going to go on for way longer than we thought it was and, and we really have to rethink how we connect people meaningfully. Father Rod, what are you pessimistic about? I am actually really pessimistic about our short-term future it seems as though we are coming to the what we call the end of empire the western empire is starting to crumble and i guess there is um, we look at what happened brexit and, and trump and they're not the problems so if they are uh, symptoms of the breakdown of the western empire and and what we what we've found you know historically is that takes some generations and so we're we're in for a, a bit of a rough ride honestly, over the next few generations. We will learn to care for each other in that. Um, We will learn to make connections in that. But it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be fun. But what we have discovered historically, that what happens at the end of an empire is that small, sustainable communities start to arise Um, if you look at the end of the Roman Empire out of that came the monastic movement and basically that was just small sustainable communities popping up uh, all over Europe uh, and eventually morphed into the I guess the Benedictines and and then became corrupted and that's that's, but so short term I'm quite pessimistic and I think we're in for a bit of a rough ride.
0: I better ask you about your optimisms (laughs) then. Um, Long term, tell me what you're excited about.
2: I think as as I mentioned, um, you know, working with year 12 students is what actually gives me hope. These young people are incredibly switched on. Sooner my generation gets out of the way and and gives them the reins and and they can, but, you know, they're, the leadership that we're going to ask of of this generation coming into into leadership now and their children. Um, we're going to be asking a lot from them to lead us through a, what's going to be a very difficult time in the you know, pretty much the entire uh, 21st century, I think. but I am hopeful that out of the rubble of the Western Empire these young people's grandchildren will lead us into smaller sustainable communities. That um, have moved out of what the economic paradigm in which we you know, view everything through economic the oc- economic lens into, I, I believe, what is coming the ecological paradigm, where we see ourselves as an integral part of a whole biosystem and uh, and live in smaller, more sustainable ways.
0: Father Rod, thanks for being part of Know Your Rights. Thanks so much for listening to the Know Your Rights Anti-Poverty Series. Thanks to Newcastle Libraries Real Samaritans, Nova for Women and Children and Newcastle Poverty Action Alliance. Make sure you rate and review the podcast wherever you listen. Help spread the message.
1: Thanks for listening to the Know Your Rights Series presented by Newcastle Libraries Real. We hope this has raised your awareness...
0: This has been a Newcastle Library's Real Production.